Hit it, Phil. Can it be the breeze that fills the trees with rare and magic perfume? Oh, no. It isn't the breeze. It's Jackson time. La, da, da, da. Well, Joe, again, this is Buck Benny speaking. I am joined by my friend Zach Eastman here. And uh, he's, um, well, Zach, your uh, podcast is again, say it again for me. Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. Thank you. Period. Exclamation point, question mark. Uh, yes, yes, that and is. They, that and is he it. goes through and, and wonderfully reviews. Uh, movies that, uh, and I, I, I was sitting on one of them, which was a lot of fun to do that one, and uh, yep. we'll have to do another one sooner or later. But uh, no, that's already in the works, I think, from our one of our last convos. Yeah, uh, yeah. I can tell you who's going to be on it in in a very short order in the next week or so. Zill already sure. landed, but uh, the great Keith Scott. Uh, I sat down with him on Friday over Zoom to talk about his lovely book about. Uh, Cartoon Voices of the Golden Age. And considering how many of these lovely voice artists we talk about on this particular program, if you haven't gotten that book, you need to get that book because I opened it up and much like the Robert Bader Marx Brothers book or even or even Kathy's Benny book, I opened it up and I'm like, there's there's too much to unpack. What what do I do? Like, how do I retain all this? So it's, um, there's actually a lot of, uh, there's a, I, I could, I could, uh, tell you guys this because, like, I, I was looking through the book and I found another Jack cartoon that I wasn't expecting to find. And it is on YouTube from Columbia, huh. uh, in Screen Gems. It's called The Big Bird Cast. Uh, and it has, <laughs> it comes out a year later than The Feud. So it okay. has a Jack uh, Benny caricature as a bird playing the violin, and then a worm comes out that's supposed to be Fred Allen and plays the bee, and then a bunch of bees go after him. Oh. Uh, it is it's uh, it's it's one of a couple of other ones, but like I shared it with Laura, and she's like, "I haven't seen this before," and I'm like, "I didn't know this was a thing." Yeah. So it shows you that Keats' book has found this this wonderful pocket of like the voice actors that were doing these things and he's able to track down pretty much everybody who's done them. And when I say everyone, I mean like, you know, he, he reminded me of B. Benadaret doing one of the most obnoxious, but greatest voices on, uh, in Looney Tunes history, which is little red riding hood. Yeah. The cast daily impression. But yeah, so that, (laughs) That that and an episode on the jazz singer with Laura is coming up very soon. So very cool. Uh, very yeah. Cool. Well, and then uh, we've got one of the great voices of all time in this episode, uh, Humphrey Bogart, which is it's really cool <laughs> to have him on here. So it's that's going to be our focus today. But <laughs> but let's let's go around the rest of the horn here and and uh, let's hop over there, Terry. Terry, you've got your newest episode that came out and I predicted they were going to get longer and longer as time went on. And this year's longest episode yet, 40 minutes. I believe so. Yeah. Almost 40 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what what is kind of, can you give us like, is this like it more in the science? Sometimes you're more in the science fiction realm. So it's more fantasy. Sometimes they're a Western. What genre is this one kind of? This is another, this is another mashup of uh, fantasy, science fiction, and uh, social commentary. It's called the woke detective. Oh, very cool. Uh, there's a little time travel involved, not uh, not too heavy-handed, not like the earlier one where it was 
you know, there was the machine and yeah, yeah. and so forth. This is a little more subtle than that. And um, I went for the noir genre as the, the approach to the story. I was very, very fortunate to have um, Bill Jones come back and play the detective. It was a tour de force for him. He must have been in the uh, in the studio for, well, I know he was in there for hours uh, wow. to pull this off. And uh, we had a lot of uh, other familiar voices. And as we often do, one new voice, another veteran performer. Uh, and so I'm really, really pleased with the way this one turned out. Um, it, it, there was a lot of music in this one, too, which made me happy. And nice. so that was available. It came out uh, just a week ago. Nice. Yay. So catch up his, with his new one, and that's over on Imagine Air Theater. Um, you can just type Imagine Air Theater in your browser. You'll you'll kick in yep. and find it. Um, and all 10 are worth listening to, all 10 episodes for sure. And most of them are only your 15, 20 minutes long or something. Yeah. So it's a nice, easy listen Um you know, th this is one of the longer ones, um, but th that's great. So, Kathy, over to you. Um, Kathy, uh, where are we at with volume three? I don't, volume I don't really three. ask this for the listeners or anything. I ask this more for me and wanting yeah. to read more Jack Benny scripts. So where are we on the on the third volume of the Jack Benny script book? Oh, and what are we thinking oh, that might be coming well, out? Hopefully I'll be submitting the manuscript in about February once uh, the publisher's Christmas rush is uh, through. And volume three will cover, it's one of the most dramatic kerfuffles uh, uh, Jack and Mary and Harry Kahn were ever involved in because this is when uh, a very abruptly uh, Canada Dry, his first sponsor and the ad agency, N.W. Air and Sons, um, take control of the, they grab control of the show away from Jack they claim they don't like his humor very much. They hire a new comedy writer, uh, Sid Silvers, who's actually a longtime friend and colleague of Jack's, but they hire Sid Silvers as a new writer and they impose a new structure on the show uh, that it's going to be a, uh, a, sto a continuing story about a Broadway producer and his obnoxious male sidekick. Um, they switch networks to CBS and, and whole different days and times. And so it's um, a complete remake of the show. And, and Jack and Harry and Mary are horrified. And so they really stand up for themselves. They go marching back to NBC, uh, uh, because uh, uh, which had been so uh, uh, helpful and welcoming. They threat to quit the show entirely. Because they they're they're losing everything. They have to get a whole new band. Well, it's not they, even their show at that point. It's exactly, not, yeah. and so it's fascinating what you can uh, because we don't have these shows to see what of it shows up in the scripts and what I could deduce is happening behind the scenes. But for a couple of the scripts, it's very interesting and very strange. Okay. Um, and, and so we'll see that. But they gain control of the show again. So do they and, actually do that? in the scripts or or did they oh, was no. that all behind just, the scenes no. and you just yeah, get hints no, of in the part, scripts so you get we get a couple shows that are in this this new odd format and um and it's twice a week still and yeah. uh, but then jack says oh we're back remember how the show used to be we're back to what we did before <laughs> this but is Canada, the, this is 
This is the new Coke of Jack Benny stories. Everybody tried to push Jack new Coke and go like, but everybody yeah. like classic. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, what amazing things happen. Mary takes a much larger role in the show that Ethel Chute, you know, Mary had really been the sort of timid sidekick playing an 18 year old girl. Right. Um, when she had, when George Olson and Ethel Chute were the experienced cast members, now right. she's thrust into the role uh, of being Jack's main um, annoyer and really co-partner, and she really starts to shine. Um, you can see uh, uh, just the role growing and her importance growing, and um, just as when you said, Daryl, that you really enjoyed Mary, yeah. this is a, a really uh, a move that you can see in the way that their their publicity works in the mid thirties. That she, you don't have to really sell me on the there. book. I was going to get it anyway, but now I really want to get it. <laughs> <laughs> so, right in so my wheelhouse of, with Mary getting a bigger and bigger part. Yeah. Of things. So awesome. it's it's going to be fascinating, but it ends abruptly because um, the sponsor has the last word, and at at their next thirteen week renewal, they go bye bye. And um, they basic and uh, uh, Canada Dry leaves radio for a number of years, but it's a huge shock to Jack and Mary because they've been fired mid-season. Right. And, and it's like, oh, what and this do? And, and this book will have just those episodes, or does it go into the ones that follow after that? So, oh. so it'll 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 be encapsulate all of that. Okay. Right. Yeah. No, that that'll be volume four. Four. So, uh, that's awesome. And then who takes four? Is that is that General Tyrant? Well, no, no, it's Chevrolet, which Jack would never want to talk. He'll never mention their name again because of uh, uh, the didn't relationship. Give him a Chevrolet. <laughs> well, there, there you go. He liked Packards too much. Um, they Chevrolet had had a big fight with Al Jolson. They had been sponsoring Jolson, and Jolson had a, at this point a gigantic ego, and he just walks off the show. But it's the middle of the great. It's it's um uh, the bank holiday. It is uh, you know amazing the 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 collapse of the American economy and Roosevelt's inauguration all rolled into one. So that's when Jack and Mary get back on the air the um, day after Roosevelt's inauguration in, in early March, 1933. Um, but as I said, Chevrolet's about to go bankrupt and they don't know if they can continue to pay for a show. The ads are fascinating, the shows are fascinating, but what happens is um, about nine, six to nine months later, they get a new president of the Chevrolet Corporation who likes polkas. He, he likes, yeah. um, and he says, I don't like humor, and he fires Benny. And, wow. and so, to yeah, humiliation, we have like got to. Is, I, uh, I, think, I think we need to sit down between now and the Jack Benny convention and have like an interview with you that, that covers where your books have gone so far quickly. But then gets into what this third volume is going to be and the, all the stuff that you're talking about now. Because, I mean, it, yeah. it's so interesting and, and and we have so little knowledge of that. I mean, because, you know, we've got some pretty big Jack Benny fans in this room right now. 
And I think both Zach and I have been completely surprised by some of the things you've said and 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 weren't expecting all of this. So I forgot well, about the polka store. I forgot about the polka element until you brought it up. And I'm like, now I want Weird Al's opinion on this. Because... <laughs> there you go. I'll tell you what, I'm going to... Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I'm going to jump on this, uh, this Jolson mention. I never mentioned my podcasts on here very much and things, but... Uh, I got to tell you, I am so proud of this one that I've been doing and uh, uh, just how delightful it is and how well these shows work together. I, uh, from uh, 75, 75 years ago this year, from 1947, the 47, 48 season, I'm bringing you the 47, 48 season of the, ja of the Bing Crosby show. And it's one, the sound is just amazing, but all my Bing Crosby's are always great sounding, but I found the uh, Al Jolson show uh, in beautiful sound from the same time frame, the, the craft uh, craft theater, and uh, the what he did was Jolson was just off of his movie uh, that was about his life, and it and it was hugely successful, so it reignited his career. So they gra grabbed him and put him on the show along with Oscar Levant, who I love Oscar Levant, oh, piano playing and his humor. And, and it just works so well. And to have these shows and just sparkling sound, it sounds like it was being in the room with them as they're recording it. And then we end the night usually with a Jimmy Durante's show from the exact same year. And they're all, and what's funny is they're all from the same, like they were released. I think two of them came out on one day and the next show would be like on the next day. So they're always like right in the same time frame. And so a lot of times the jokes they're making show up on all three shows. If it's a timely joke about, about the administration or something going on. So it's, it's a really fun listen. All the shows are similar enough and yet different enough that you can enjoy the whole uh, hour and a half that you're spending with these guys and they appear on each other's shows. So, like next week's, I um, as as we record this, uh, this is uh, early in December of '22, and uh, the the next show I'm going to present is going to have Jolson appearing on Bing's show, and then Jolson's on his own show, and Durante was on Bing's, and I think Bing's was on Jolson's. I mean, they appear on each other's shows left and right anyway, so they tie together so well, and um, just a, a, a wonderful listen, and to not. It's so strange to listen to three shows in a row and not have a bunch of pops or clicks or or sound that's where you go, what did he say? Where everything's just clear. It's just a wonderful thing. So we present it every Monday on my um, Jack Benny podcast. I originally was putting on the Judy Garland podcast, but the Jack Benny one gets more listeners. And I just thought, I ah, know I want to make this so more people can hear this. So because it's that good. Anyway. So tune in and listen to that. But let's get on to our presentation. This is a, a wonderful episode with Humphrey Bogart in it. Um, I just love it. I love the fact that Bob Crosby does a fun job in this episode. I love seeing Bob Crosby. Bob Crosby was in 12 of Jack's shows, I believe, is what I looked up. And so uh, generally the early ones, he was in like one season after Jack left the radio show behind. And then he wouldn't be on again, um, except for one strange episode that they held back because of legal issues until years later and he was on that one too but uh but it was recorded this time frame anyway um let's go around the horn and see what people think of this episode what they want to point out 
Uh, we'll go to Kathy first. Kathy, what are your thoughts on the episode? Well, uh, again, I I love that this one is so connected to um, uh, Jack's radio days um, and um, talks about the importance of uh, the importance of the sponsor and the sponsor's control of the show because it's easy for us to think about TV later where it was the networks in charge of the show and there weren't sponsors but only commercials. So um, I thought that was really uh, interesting and fun. It feels like early television. It has those elements of liveness in Jack's beginning that uh, are kind of fun. Um, and as well as um, Humphrey Bogart makes his first television appearance uh, on this show. And we said this is followed just a few weeks earlier by Marilyn Monroe's first television appearance on Jack's show, which just sort of demonstrates uh, both the um, high regard that big Hollywood stars had for Jack, knowing that, oh, television is this low medium. I'm not, you know, going to look, you know, and studios and studios wouldn't let their talent on there either. MGM right. was notorious for that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the the stars could trust Jack to know that the same way he'd be, always been doing it on the radio that he made his stars shine. He made them funny. He put them to good advantage. And um, he, what he does here with Humphrey Bogart, Humphrey Bogart is they. I bet they were friends off screen because they have many connections. Not connected with the radio show. Um, but uh, uh, Humphrey allows himself to play this really sort of comic role that's unusual and fun, so. Well, and I wish they would have had Lauren Bacall come on too, but I think that was asking too much. But so often when Bogey would appear on radio, it would be with Lauren Bacall with him and they would do radio shows together. I know they did, they did Jack's show at least once with both right. of them. And then they also did a Bing Crosby at least once with both of them on there. And she is so funny with, because she can play off of Bogey and play off of the host and do, uh, they usually play with the whole jealous thing and about the host being attracted to her and how's that affect Bogey or not affect Bogey. Like sometimes it's like Bogey doesn't even care because he's, he's so suave and so cool that he doesn't even have to bother with this little gnat that's flying around. But uh, but those are just fun to listen to. But this is, like we say, uh, just a great get to be able to get Humphrey Bogart at this point in time, so early in television. Yeah, and one one other quick, because I've, I have a review, and I'd like to read it we'll in a little bit. We'll get to that later, yeah, for but, sure. Uh, yeah, but, but one quick thing. The um, announcer for Lucky Strikes in this episode with the little mustache is Ed Thorgerson. Ed was the announcer on Jack's very first radio show in May 1932, and one of the first jokes Jack ever made was he says, I need to tell the radio uh, radio audience about our announcer. Ed Thorgerson looks like he swallowed all of Mickey Mouse but his tail. <laughs> <laughs> and so after all these years to have ed back is uh it's just again t collapsing time yeah. so well and that's that's why i love having you on here so much kathy because you bring us that insight that we wouldn't get otherwise and what a wonderful pullback to way back when yeah, um, let's switch over to terry and see what terry thought of the episode and what he pulled out well i especially like the ending where uh, Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman are at the airport, and uh, you know Claude, Claude Rains is there, and and Paul 
Paul Henry is, you know, waiting for her to, to join him. <laughs> Who would him. think they could get all those stars on this show? But yeah, maybe. He surprises her by uh, by telling her that, that she's going to go I, with her I, husband. I thought it was very surprising that Eddie Rochester Anderson shot Major Strasser. I thought that was yeah. a very big <laughs> twist. Yeah. I yeah. wasn't it was expecting the perfect, it. The perfect ending. And then, you know, <laughs> he said, it looks like this is going to be the, the beginning of a beautiful If Dooley Wilson oh, shot... Conrad bite at the end of that movie. Oh. I think I'd lose my mind with just joy. <laughs> <laughs> but the problems of you and I, Terry, don't add up to a hill of beans in this great big world bar. I don't know. The <laughs> I, I will say one thing. I was I was shocked, shocked that there was gambling going on. I just <laughs> did did not expect that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, there's there's one uh, one actor who I wa do want to seriously identify in in this episode. His name is Fred Graham. Now there was a a CBS News, I think it was CBS, um, court reporter named Fred Graham. Not the same guy. Uh, Fred Graham plays the tall detective in this episode, and um, he started out his career as a baseball player and became a stuntman. And wow! So he didn't have a lot of uh, you know, other acting chops, but he certainly had a long career in show And I don't know why Jack or whoever cast him in this episode, but it was kind of cool to see him. Probably somebody knew him. Something, yeah. yeah huh? Well, Zach, what did, what did you think of this episode? What's um, I mean, like it's it's fun to watch Jack bring Bogey back. Uh, in a comedy sense, when one of the first times Bogey was on Jack's show was to promote All Through the Night, and they bring him into a Captain O'Benny sketch um, where they make him Captain O'Bogart. To have him come back and do a little bit more gangster slash detective work is really fun. I look at this as an interesting stopgap for Bogart because he only does really two television things. It's this and then the producer showcase where he recreates the role of Duke Van Tee. Um, well, the Petrified Forest. So watching Bogey play with the medium of television is, we only have those two examples. And I, I do find it fascinating how, had he lived a little longer, I wonder if uh, some kind of a detective show might have gotten him or even Untouchables might have had him on as a guest at one point. Uh, but it is wonderful to watch him play with the live medium. He He's rarely breaking Nothing's really giving him an excuse to to move from that character. I think the slapping game is amazing because uh, you can tell that they're not slapping each other, but I believe that they're slapping each other. Um, yeah. And um, I do love the tall man gag where they're like, "Would you pick this up?" And then you have Benny River go like, "I I picked him up over in the Bowery." <laughs> like that that's a fun gag for me. But yeah, yeah uh, it, it, on the whole, it is one of those like this is one that I would rewatch a lot when it was on that. Uh, like a genius, whatever DVD set that came out like back right. in 2004 or five, it was one that I would rewatch constantly because I loved Bogart. And it is very funny when he calls, he makes his one phone call about making sure that, making sure that his house is in order. That's, that, that, that's a fun gag about using your one phone call to check in on your laundry. Like that's, that's a funny <laughs> gag. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a very tight, sharp episode. I, I really like it. Well, and I love the fact that when they do the, it's it's a complete recreation of a a, a police station, I believe, yeah. you know, sort of thing. 
and and it even has a, a beginning um, what, title card or whatever that goes with it and things. So it, it just seems like we're stepping into a, a whole nother TV show or something. And I love that feel because that's sort of how it felt on the radio show when they would do a skit. And it's neat that they go full bore into a skit. They they don't often do that. Usually it's a skit that's in Jack's house or something like that. They don't often see themselves this much into something, which is great. The um, yeah. Variety Review is going to claim that this is actually a parody of something called Detective Story. Now, whether that was a movie or a TV series, I don't know. But it's, yeah. So um, the review. Well, go ahead and read Night some of the Variety Okay, well, it's it's okay, it's it's great fun. Um, in his opening monologue on last night's Lucky's visual display, uh, Jack Benny told about the sponsor insisting that the middle commercial be made more important, as if to carry out the order with all the emphasis of a man with a mission. He piled it on and used his guest star Humphrey Bogart as the pigeon. From there, the program proceeded to satirize the hit play and film of two seasons back, Detective Story, with Benny, a detective lieutenant, and Bogart, a cat killer. Cat killer. Benny, in grilling the baddie, wrung from him the wanted confession that Lucky's are his brand, too. In fact, Bogart sang both figuratively and literally, including <laughs> the sponsor's slogan. It was not one of Betty's, Benny's better shows, and this seems a bit late to satirize Detective Story, even but, though it was not announced as such. Bob Crosby yeah. and John Wilson were cut in for brief sorties, Crosby whomping up a big laugh when he likened the omission of his singing as keeping the smog and throwing away L.A. Benny liked the gag so well he repeated it. Sarah Burner, as a pickpocket, got her share of laughs with her nasal vocalizing, and Benny Rubin as Detective O'Brien broke up the audience with his small part. Benny used two of his old scripters on this outing, Hugh Wedlock and Howard Snyder, and while the gags were explosive, there weren't enough of them to maintain the usual Benny pace. Ow! So, um... But uh, did Bosley um, Crowther write this review? What the heck? Yeah, you think. <laughs> no, it's the same same guy who wrote the other one. So, All right. Uh, well, All right. let me <laughs> jump on this really quick to say that... Uh, I, I'm glad they mentioned Sarah Burner was on this episode. She does a fun job, and it's neat to see her live on television. And we heard her so often on his radio show, so she's a performer that, that uh, wonderful to see. I need to look her up at some point. Uh, I think we did it at one point, and I think she's on a dozen episodes or something or less. I'm not sure. But anyway, it's just nice to point her out when she's on this one. And again, I think Crosby does a really nice job uh, having Bob on here. Uh, overall, throughout the whole episode, I think it's it's well written for him too. So I enjoyed all of it. Uh, anything else anyone has to point out about this episode before we get into it? Go ahead. Uh, one other thing that we, we we've been talking about in these episodes, um, Jack says in his opening monologue that Mary was supposed to be on the show, but that didn't happen, so he's got Bogart instead. So. Uh, again, I like these reminders that maybe back in, you know, back in these early days of the 50s, it's not all planned out in advance and that he's, they're still working up ideas from show to show to show. And, uh, and so these little hints that right. um, they might have plan A was this, but we see plan B. So Yeah, it's an, uh, has Mary even been on yet on the Jack Benny show at this point in time? I can't remember an episode that she was featured in. No. 
So I would think her first episode right. might just be the one with her daughter Joan uh, right. and, later and, this season, uh, right? But also at this time, she's trying, she's backing out of the radio shows, right? right. So this she's is with backing Joan out of everything. <laughs> You know, that's her choice. Well, and eventually they realize, I think at this point, he's still trying to get her on the live shows because, of course, he doesn't, I don't think at this point, they have any film shows. But then later on, they realize, okay, she's more comfortable in the film shows, so they only feature on the film shows eventually. Um, Anyway, we will let that go, and I hope everybody enjoys this, and we'll see you guys next time for more Jack Benny. Nice job, Brady. From Television City in Hollywood, we bring you the Jack Benny Show with his special guest, Humphrey Bogart, presented by Lucky Strike. Thank you very, very much, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the uh, Lucky Strike program. You know, I, uh... <laughs> really, you'll, ha- you'll have to excuse me for laughing, but I just spent the most wonderful half hour I've ever spent in my life. I was listening to my own radio show. <laughs> and I don't know, I, I don't know, I was so comical, you know? <laughs> I said so many funny things. Oh, I know what you're thinking, you know, but I believe, I really believe that a man should be honest with himself. If there's anything I hate is when a comedian is great and won't admit it. (laughs) I've never met one like that, but if I did, I'd hate it. And one thing about me, lady, I'm honest. I really am, you know? If any other comedian, if any other comedian has a bad show, I'm the first one to admit it. I talk about it all the time. But I, um, oh, I have my faults. You know, I'm not not perfect or anything. I, uh, you know, I'm too easygoing and I'm not overly ambitious. But then after all, I I don't want to be the, you know, the richest man in the world, you know. (laughs) America is big enough for me. <laughs> but you know, ladies and gentlemen, uh, tonight, you know, I announced three weeks ago that tonight Mary Livingston was going to be on my show, you see. But unfortunately, we had to postpone it because there was a big mix up and everything. You see, when the producer asked Mary to be on my show, I told Mary to ask for a lot of money, you see. You know, I forgot that I was paying for it. <laughs> so, instead of Mary tonight, we have Humphrey Bogart as our guest star. And, um, really, I'm getting him fairly reasonably. <laughs> you know how tough he is on the screen? You know what a tough guy knows nothing about business. <laughs> Nothing at all. Well, anyway, this show that I'm going to do... Jack! Jack! What what is it, Bob? Jack, I want to talk to you a minute. 
What is it? Well, I just heard that you talked with the producer, and there's a possibility of my song being out of this show. Yeah, well, look, uh, Bob, the reason for that is, see, this show is very, very long, you see, and we had to make up our minds whether we take out your song or my jokes, you see, and then we thought we would do what was best for the show. Oh, well, then my song is in. <laughs> No, no, Bob, we felt that it would be much more important, you see, to leave in my jokes. You mean your jokes are more important than my song? Yes, yes. My jokes stay in and your song goes out. Well, that's like keeping the smog and throwing away Los Angeles. <laughs> well... The smog and throw you away, Los Angeles. <laughs> Pretty clever line, isn't it? Yes. What's well, yes. in my next TV show? I'm on TV five times a week. I thought you were tired. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see that. Now look at Bob. Your song is out, and that settles it. You see, I'm running this show. I'm the boss. It's my show, and I'm running it, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. Well, that's what the critics said about your last show. <laughs> what? Said Bob was good, Jack was bad, and the audience was indifferent. <laughs> Look, Bob, go and get ready for the play, will you? All right. <laughs> you know, I can't understand. He's the toughest guy to get along with. You know, he's only been with me a short time, you know. And the only reason I hired him at all was because I wanted him, you know, I wanted him to introduce me to his brother, Bing. <laughs> then I found out he didn't even know him. <laughs> Well, anyway, as I said, the reason, the reason that I've got Humphrey Bogart on this show, I want to tell you about the play that I'm going to do with Humphrey Bogart, is because my sponsor called me uh, yesterday, I believe it was, and my sponsor, he's an awfully nice fellow, and my sponsor told me that he had a feeling, you know, he likes my shows, he likes my TV shows very, very much, but he had a feeling that I wasn't doing the, the integrated commercials. He said, I wasn't making the middle commercials in the show important enough. You know, and after all, I, you know, my sponsor's paying the bills and everything, and he has the privilege of making suggestions, you see. Of course, I, I don't have to take the suggestions. No, I, I have the privilege of quitting. <laughs> but I don't want to abuse the privilege. So tonight, tonight on this show, in case you notice that we stress the commercial, you know I'm doing Jack, it. I'm Jack. doing it because... Jack, what's this I hear about you writing me out of the commercial on this show? Yeah, well, Don, Don, look at... Wait, am I going to have trouble with you, too? You very well may. <laughs> oh, I very well may. Well, Don, yeah. the reason you're not doing the commercial, see, is because I have another very important way of doing it. Now, just a minute, Jack. Yes. What's more important about the commercial than the way I do it? Look, Don, you don't fit into it this week. No. I mean, I mean, hurting the script for the sake of your commercial is like... is like... <laughs> is like keeping the smart and throwing away Los Angeles. <laughs> Excuse me. Look, now, ladies... Jack, look, don't you know what my doing this commercial means to me? Now, after all, I'm not a funny man. I don't tell jokes. I'm not an actor. I don't sing songs. I don't lead a band. What are you paying me for? 
<laughs> Don, you're hanging yourself. <laughs> we'll talk about it later. Huh? The whole it! <laughs> The fellow been with me 20 years. I can't understand why I have so much trouble with everybody in my cast. But everybody. Always complaining. Always unhappy. I don't know. Maybe if I gave them more money, that Nah. <laughs> Better they should be unhappy than me. <laughs> but anyway, well, we've got to get on now with the show. Ladies and gentlemen, now tonight, we're going to offer a real, real dramatic play called Babyface, starring Humphrey Bogart. On with the show. <laughs> this is the 24th Precinct Police Station, situated in the heart of New York's theatrical district. This is the detective squad room. Here, crime, with its quick, easy promise, is shorn of its flimsy veneer and revealed in its sordid, squalid reality. To this room come people from all walks of life, the flotsam and the jetsam, the hoy and also the polloi. <laughs> the man you see at the typewriter is Detective Sergeant Crosby. The man looking through the file, standing behind Crosby to his right, which would be to your left on the screen, or, uh, or to your right, and uh, his left, or, well, anyway, he's Detective Wilson. And he's to everybody's right and left. You can't miss him. <laughs> the men who just came in are Detective O'Brien and a suspect he has just arrested. Well, where'd you pick this one up, O'Brien? I picked him up in an alley, Nick. <laughs> Be that fire bug we've been looking for. Take him up and let the captain have a look at him. God, get in there. Come on, get in there. O'Brien was an honest cop. We could tell that from the clothes he wore. <laughs> Incidentally, my name is Lieutenant Benny. I should be arriving at the office any minute. Oh, here I come now. <laughs> I took off my hat and coat. I hung him up on the hall tree. <laughs> Wilson and Crosby. I had heard a funny story last night, and I passed it on to the boys. Although I was a tough boss and a stickler for work, I had a lot of charm, and the boys loved me. <laughs> I didn't see that. Hello? Precinct 24. Yeah? Detective Benny speaking. Just a minute. 385 Madison Avenue, eh? Window pried open. 
Uh-huh. Screen loose. No fingerprints. Must be the cat burglar, all right. We'll get him. Oh, the cat burglar again, huh? Yeah. It's the 15th cat he stole this week. <laughs> Terrible. My cat's afraid to go out at night. <laughs> I don't blame her. Hey, Lieutenant. Here's Officer Sweeney's report. You know, he went over to Brooklyn to pick up that strip teaser. The strip teaser? That was four days ago. Yeah, I know, but Sweeney wants to make sure she's guilty before he brings her in. <laughs> I tried to arrest her myself, but I couldn't get anything on her. <laughs> Picks up these files. Well, Slim Finger Sarah. <laughs> I caught her over at the automat. She was lifting her nickels out of the slots. She was. Again, eh? You can go, Burke. I'll take care of her. Come on. Take your filthy hands off me. Come on. All right, all right, don't holler. This ain't the first time you've been pinched. You're telling me I'm black and blue all over. <laughs> hey, Lieutenant, wasn't she in here about a month ago? Yeah, she's the slickest pickpocket in the country. Operates all over town. Last time I arrested her was at the zoo. The zoo? Yeah. She picked a baby kangaroo out of its mother's pouch. <laughs> what made you do a silly thing like that? Pocket. <laughs> now make it easy on yourself and sign that confession. Maybe I'll give you a break. Oh, no, you don't. I ain't signing nothing till I talk to my lawyer. And besides, I'm entitled to make one phone call. These crooks know their rights, all right. <laughs> Go ahead. Call your lawyer. You don't like pot roast. Slim Finger Sarah when the door opened. And there were Detective Simmons and Ross. They had brought in a vicious gunman, a killer named Babyface Bogart.
I didn't mind the applause he got on his entrance, but I resented the fact that Crosby and Wilson joined in. <laughs> it looked like this time we had Bogart dead to rights. According to Detective Simmons and Ross, a little crook named Blinky Mason had been shot to death. They picked up Bogart a few yards from the scene of the crime with a smoking 45 in his hand. I tell you, I ain't never heard of no Blinky Mason. Who cares if he was raised in a tenement and his mother said he was a nice little boy? Or his teacher, a sweet gray-haired old lady, cried when he graduated? And his brother, his brother owns a, owns a haberdashery store in Schenectady. I don't, I, I don't even know his girlfriend, a blonde dame that works in an aircraft factory. <laughs> or his boyhood chum that ran away from home and, and went to Australia. Wait a minute, baby face. If you don't know Blinky Mason, how come you know so much about him? I seen it on This Is Your Life. <laughs> what? Gee, gee how I cried when they brought in a warden that he hadn't seen for 20 years. The warden? Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, you know they flew that guy all the way out from Sing Sing by TWA. Sound up, maybe, face. You killed Blinky Mason, I'm going to get a confession out of you. Yeah, and how are you going to do that? Beat me? He very well may. Yeah. <laughs> when Mason was knocked off, you were standing there with a gun. And listen to this. I'm walking behind you. Turn that thing off. Now, what did you do with that gun? Now, wait a minute. Before you start any rough stuff, I'm entitled one phone call, ain't I? Well, yes. Okay, give me a dime and I'll run down to the drugstore. <laughs> oh, no, you don't. You'll make that phone call right here where I can keep my eye on you. Yeah, and save a dime. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Shirley. Shirley? Yeah, well, listen. Listen, honey, this is Babyface. Yeah, well, I, I, I won't be home a little later. Oh, that's too bad. Now, what were we going to have for dinner, honey? Hot roast. <laughs> I could have told him that. Why, that dirty crook. Yeah, yeah, now, now, listen. Listen, Shirley, I want you to do something for me. You go in the living room and over by the fireplace, and inside of the fireplace, there's two loose boards. Now, now, listen. You lift up those boards and you stick your arm in, and inside there's a package. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's my laundry. <laughs> yeah, listen, I want it back by Friday. Why don't you call your lawyer? Because I don't like the way he does my shirts. <laughs> now look at him. You killed Blinky Mason, didn't you? I didn't do it, and I got a witness. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah! <laughs> I don't want you 
guys practice. Time for lunch. I'll go with you. Oh, no, you don't. You're not going to leave me alone with this guy. Get over there and sit down. All right, baby face. You can start talking now. I want to hear about that witness. What about him? Well, I... I don't know his name, but he was standing right alongside of me at the time of the murder. Oh, he was, eh? Yeah. Uh-huh. What was he doing? Well, he was, uh... He was just standing there. He, uh... He had, uh... What did he look like? Well, he, uh... You know, he, he was a curly-headed guy. He was about five foot ten. He had, uh... He had a gray suit on and brown eyes. Oh, yeah? What color hair? He was bald. <laughs> Wait a minute. You said he was a curly-headed guy. That's right. No hair, just a curly head. <laughs> I ain't buying that baby face. Start singing. I'm walking behind. Not you. <laughs> Let's get back to that witness again. What was he doing? Well, he was, uh... He was holding a cigarette in his hand. Yeah? What kind of a cigarette? I said what kind of a cigarette? Well, he was, uh... I... I ain't gonna talk. <laughs> I said what kind of a cigarette? All right, all right. It was a lucky strike. <laughs> Now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> a lucky strike, eh? What made you think it was a lucky strike? I ain't talking. <laughs> what made you think it was a lucky strike? Because it was so round, so fine, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. <laughs> Can you remember that, Wilson? Are you kidding? <laughs> One more question, baby face. What was he doing with that cigarette? He was peeling it. <laughs> peeling it, eh? How'd you know it wasn't a banana? Because they let me taste it. <laughs> it was a lucky strike, all right, because Lucky's taste bad. Pressing the pressure smoother. Lucky strike. Lucky strike. All right. What else? Nothing. What? Nothing. What? Nothing, no nothing beats better taste. <laughs> I knew we'd get him to talk. Lock him up, fellas. All right, all right, get him up. Get over there, you too. I swore to get you, Benny. But why? Because you've always, you never leave me alone because you've been hounding me just because I pulled a couple of lousy murders. <laughs> well, what are you going to do? I'm going to put a red eye between them two blue ones. <laughs> Where, where'd you get the gun? You didn't fist me so good when I came in, did you? No. No, when I put my hand in your pocket, I found a dollar bill. I got so excited, I didn't look at it. 
Look at baby face. Look at I'm not mad at you or anything. Look at I'm I don't want to die. Look at I'm too young to die. Honest I am. I'm a nice guy. I'll leave you alone. Everybody loves me. Everybody. You love me, don't you, fellas? <laughs> all right, all right, copper, start praying. I'm gonna let you have it. Well, yeah. I know your type, baby face. You're all alike. You're pretty brave with that gun in your hand, ain't you? Throw that gun away, I'll show you a coward. Okay! <laughs> How about that? Come on, Sarah, let's go get that pot roast. Be my guest. I'm walking behind you. Smoking enjoyment is all a matter of taste. And the fact of the matter is, Muskies taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. Muskies taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. For lots of striping, fine tobacco, richer tasting, fine tobacco. Muskies taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. Lucky strike, lucky Sure, Lucky's taste better. Everybody knows Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Fine, light, mild tobacco that just naturally tastes better. And Lucky's are made better. They're round and firm and fully packed to draw freely and smoke evenly. With fine tobacco in a better made cigarette, golly, you're just bound to get better taste. Smoking enjoyment is all a matter of taste, you know. And the fact of the matter is, Lucky's taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. When the sketch was over, I found that I had enjoyed it even more than my radio show. <laughs> I was laughing so much, I could hardly thank Humphrey Bogart for helping me give such a great performance. Bogie told me that he thought he had handled his role extremely well. He believes in being honest with himself, too. <laughs> then he told me about his new picture, Beat the Devil, with Jennifer Jones. <laughs> then I told him about the last picture I made. <laughs> I, I almost forgot to tell the audience that I'll be doing my next television show in three weeks. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be with you three weeks from today. And I believe, I'm pretty sure my guest star is going to be Johnny Ray. You see, I feel that I'm responsible for Johnny Ray's success. Because when I offered him a job a long time ago, he asked me for an awful lot of money and I cried. And then he stole that from me. <laughs> He's going to be my guest. Thank you very much. 
program were Sarah Berner and Benny Rubin. Remember, one week from tonight on this same station, Ann Southern returns in Private Secretary. The Jack Benny program has been brought to you by Lucky Strike, product of the American Tobacco Company, America's leading manufacturer of cigarettes. This is Don Wilson saying, be happy, go lucky.